Good morning. I trust you could sing that last hymn from the heart. Beautiful, beautiful hymn. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 4, please, in your Bibles. We're going to continue our study through the book of Luke. <clears throat> Luke chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 38. Now he, that's Jesus, arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother, so what relationship is that to Peter? Very good, mother-in-law. Was sick with a high fever and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now, when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues. Of Galilee. Okay, we're going to look this morning at uh, what I want to call the Jesus the Servant. No profound, catchy titles, just simply Jesus the Servant. It's a perfect summary of uh, what we're going to see here this morning. <clears throat> uh, last week, uh, we saw him, or the last couple of weeks, we've seen him teaching, preaching, and uh, healing, casting out a demon. And we're going to see more of that this week. Two, two remarkable things, you know, when you think about it. Um, first of all, realizing who Jesus is, the Lord, that of all the things he could have done when he came, like live in an ivory palace and be unapproachable, you know, he just mingled with ordinary folks like you and me and served. He was the perfect servant. And the other thing we're going to see, and this is wonderful, his service is personal, one-on-one. I think often we read passages like this and we kind of get glazed over. Yeah, he healed a lot of people, you know, and you kind of get this picture of, you know, just kind of a group healing or something. But it's not. It's one at a time. And we're going to look at that. And... We should never take that for granted, you know. The greatest life ever lived, the only perfect life ever lived. You got one perfect life out of all humanity. And how should it be spent? Well, it was spent being poured out for others. And it's, by the way, the best spent life (laughs) that was ever lived. But he literally uh, had... No thought or concern for himself. Completely others directed. Beautiful, beautiful life. The perfect illustration of this, of course, 
is um, when Mary anointed the feet of Jesus in John chapter 12. Um, it was what are they? Three hundred denarii. This perfume cost. That's a year's wages. Can you ma- imagine buying a bottle of perfume that's worth sixty, seventy, eighty, a hundred thousand dollars? You know, <laughs> woo. You know, you'd probably just use a little bit like this, right? And she took that uh, vial or bottle and broke it and poured all of its contents, all of it, on the feet of Jesus. And you know what the disciple said? Not just Judas. You know what the disciple said? Why this waste? What a waste. You know? And uh, economically speaking, he they're right. But uh, every other way, they're incredibly wrong. I'll tell you, that perfume could not have been better spent, huh? And, of course, it's a picture, you see, of Jesus himself. He is worth much more than the perfume in that bottle. And he had his one life, and he literally broke the bottle and poured himself out for us, on us. That, that, uh, that bottle was poured out on dirty feet. He was walking the dusty roads of Jerusalem. His life was poured out for sinners. And it wasn't a waste, praise God. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Jesus, the perfect servant, the, the life well spent, his life poured out for us. Well, we saw last time, as we said, uh, he cast out the demon in the synagogue. And in verse 37, uh, the verse before we read, it said, The report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. That's going to become important because people are beginning to hear what Jesus can do. And so they're thinking, you know, we have aunt so-and-so or grandma so-and-so in the back room that's been, you know, ill for years and the doctors can't help her. Maybe we can take her to Jesus. That's what's going on right now. And they're starting to come. And as we read through the passage, they're going to get there. They're going to arrive uh, until there's a great multitude. But we begin with the first thing that happens, and that's in verse 38, says he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Simon, of course, is Peter. And it says that Simon's wife's mother, uh, his mother-in-law, would say, by the way, so much for uh, Peter never being married, right? You've heard that, right? Some some teach that. Just like uh, Mary the Perpetual Version, we already shot that one down a couple of months ago. Well, Peter was definitely married. And um, his... his his mother-in-law is laid up with a, a high fever. Obviously, they, they went there after uh, probably later in the day, and they're going to have a meal. Okay, time to eat. Imagine how incongruous this sounds if Jesus had none, done nothing. He comes into the house, you know, and, and uh, he's in there ministering to the disciples, and here's his mother-in-law lying sick in the other room. There's something wrong with that picture, right? It just doesn't fit. And uh, so they beseech him. They ask him, you know, please help her. By the way, why is it that they had to ask him? Why did he just, you know, he knew she was sick. Why did he just go in there and, you know, heal her? Do you ever think about that? It's just like uh, all the rest of the healings in the gospel. Jesus wants 
those whom he serves to indicate their faith, to show it, you see. And by asking him to help her, they're indicating they believe that he could do something about it. And that's what he wants to see. And you see that all over the, the healings in the Gospels, you know. What do you want me to do for you? You know, what do you desire? And then when the respondent says something like, Lord, receive my, I want to receive my side or, you know, a leper. I want to be made clean. Then when they indicate that they think he can do something about it, then he, he acts. So he, he wants the, to see their faith and they show it. Uh, it's interesting. It says that she has a high fever. Did you notice that? Not just a fever. Remember who wrote this? It's Luke, right? What's Luke professionally? Yeah, he's a doctor. He's a physician. And uh, now he wasn't there, by the way. Okay, Luke wasn't present. He got his account most probably from Peter. But it's interesting noting the little medical touches he has throughout this gospel. And that's one of them. It wasn't just a fever. It was a high fever. And he would have gotten that from the, the witnesses. <clears throat> now, they didn't have thermometers in those days. So I would imagine, you know, they do what mothers do with their children, right? You know, right? Feel the forehead, right? Isn't that right? And you can tell when it's a really high fever, right? You know, what? wow, you're burning up, right? Isn't that what we say? Huh? And you know how you feel when you've got a fever like that, right? I mean, I had mononucleosis one time for two weeks. A constant fever, 24 hours a day. Oh, man. You know how it is. You just, oh, you have no energy, you know, listless. We, you, you can't even open your eyes. You just want to lay there, you know, and you can't go to sleep because of the raging fever. And that's, that's where she's at. She's running a high fever. We don't know uh, what caused it. It could have been a virus, you know, an, an infection. Michael could uh, educate us on this point, I'm sure, you know, as to the various causes of a high fever. They had no clue then, by the way. They didn't know what caused fevers. In fact, you know what? Today, we're still not absolutely certain why the body raises its temperature. There's speculation that it somehow expedites some kind of biochemical processes in the body, but they really don't know. Isn't that incredible? Do you know that? You'd be surprised how little we know about the workings of the human body. Uh, so she was she was laid low again, a little touch here. We know that because it says in verse 39 that Jesus stood over her. So you can get the picture that she's laid flat, you know, probably motionless. Just in misery. And uh, then it says he rebuked the fever. Now, isn't that interesting? You know, and, and people go, what's he talking to a fever for? You know? <laughs> well, look, first of all, he's God. <laughs> OK, and this is not the only time he addresses inanimate objects in creation. OK, think about on the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Right. What did he do? It says he rebuked the wind. Do you know what the wind did? It behaved. Isn't that incredible? He's God, you see. And when he speaks, creation cannot but obey him. I wish I was like that. You know, you know, we're the only exception to that. Even demons. When he speaks, the demons, they, they do it. You know, 
We're the only ones that can choose to disobey God. Well, he, he rebukes the fever. It's, and it's said, interestingly, in the passage on the sea, by the way, he rebuked the wind. And then he said to the uh, waves, peace, be still. And immediately there was a calm. So he rebukes the fever. And uh, not surprisingly, it says that it left her. As I thought about this, you know, I thought of the power of the word of Christ. You know, you got a sick child. You'd love to be able to just say, fever, go away. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be nice? I remember Mike had pneumonia one time and his fever was up, uh, was over 104. And he was, uh, I think it was two at the time. And uh, he was gasping for air because he had pneumonia, you know. It was a pretty scary time. We took him to emergency. And they didn't uh, put him in the, in the ward. They just sent him back home with us, which was even scarier because he was really gasping for air. And um, they said, well, if, he, if it gets really bad, you know, <laughs> thanks. Uh, take him into the bathroom, close the door, and turn on the shower on pure hot water. And that'll make steam, and he'll breathe the steam, and that'll clear up his lungs, which takes a little while, by the way. And I can remember holding him, seeing his little tummy, you know, right there, just his diaphragm going like this, trying to suck in air because he was so congested, you know. I didn't, it, was a, it was a terrible experience. Um, and gradually the, the water would uh, clear up his lungs. But I remember um, she and I, Carney and I traded places. We just laid next to his, his crib 24 hours, you know, because we had to be ready to grab him and take him in there and, and uh, let him breathe. Because you could tell listening to his straining when it was getting pretty, pretty bad, you know. But you feel so helpless when your little ones get sick, you know. Nothing, nothing uh, will grip your heart worse than seeing your little children suffer. Well, Jesus could do something about it. Okay. So we're going to see that coming up here. <clears throat> it says it left her. So the, the fever obeyed his command. By the way, um, you know how things came into being? You know how creation came into being? Same way. God spoke and it happened. Think about that. He's, the first thing he said was, let there be light. Now, that's long in the English. It's one word in the original or, or uh, two if you want to count the noun with it. But it's much shorter. It's literally light be. Isn't that cool? And, and now... God doesn't have lips, all right? But the point is, God envisioned light somehow. He knew exactly what he meant, if I can say that, because there was nothing before that, right? And when he indicates his will for this to occur, light exists out of nothing. Man. And not just the light. We, you know, we go on and on through all six days. Until we've got everything that exists. And it says, of course, it's the Lord Jesus who did it. 
because it says that in uh, John ch- uh, chapter one. Uh, there is nothing that's created that was not created by him. He created all things simply by speaking it into existence. Hebrews uh, says it wonderfully. Uh, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In other words, there was nothing and then there was something. You got that? And uh, boy, I'll tell you, I got a lot of skeptical scientist friends out at the lab. We, we talk about that sometimes. And they say, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't believe that. You know, you can't get something from nothing. And so they, they come up with their own theory. It's called the Big Bang. You've heard about that, right? The, the funny thing is, that's even worse. No, it is. Because everything that there is, okay, energy, matter, space itself had to have come from a point. Okay? How did it get in there? What started it? Where did it come from if it did do that? You've just pushed the question to another place. You haven't answered anything. Do you understand? They they don't like the idea. Ex nihilo, you know, Latin, out of nothing. But... Uh, I just love the word of God. It says that he did it. And so I believe it. You know, if you have trouble with that, that's because your God's too small. That's all it is. Problem's not with God. It problems with you. Okay. He spoke and it existed. By the way, <clears throat> it's interesting. It said in that verse, by faith, we understand this. So if you say, well, I just can't believe that you've illustrated that verse. Because that verse says, by faith, that is simply believing that God said he did it. That's how I know he did it. And if you don't believe it, well, then you're illustrating that verse. No problem. Okay. You just don't have faith. You don't believe God. That's fine. That's your prerogative. Okay. Nevertheless, God's still saying it. And you got to deal with it. He's not going to go away. So that's who we have here. In this scene, healing people, that God. Okay. So it just says simply the fever left her. Michael, could you imagine what that really means internally? Cell wise, particularly if there was a virus, you know, the immune response that had been mounted. All the B cells that had been created and the T cells that had been dispatched and the lymphocytes. It's incredible. And in a moment of time, that's all settled down. That's all gone. If there was a virus, every single one is gone. Do you understand? (laughs) Imagine. We we read that. We don't understand organically what had and molecularly what had to have taken place in a moment of time when Jesus spoke. Man, that's incredible. And, And by the way, listen. It says that she arose immediately, by the way. Did you catch that? Uh, if you've had a fever like I did for two weeks or a week, and finally the fever, we call it, we say the fever breaks, right? Do you immediately get up and fix dinner for everyone? No. I'll tell you, you know how I feel after that? I want to sleep, man. I'm weak. I'm listless. 
And so now there have been sermons preached on this dear woman, and that's good. I mean, it's an indication of her heart. But more importantly, it's an indication of the power and the completeness of the healing of Jesus. Do you understand? That's what he's stressing. It's not like, phew, her fever broke. She's like new. No after effects, no weakness, no listlessness, which means that all the stuff in her body, the mitochondria, are regenerated again with their little ATP molecules, okay? Whatever it is that makes us weak, it's there are no symptoms at all. I mean, she's laying there. What am I laying here for? Okay? That's the kind of healing we're talking about. Listen, when Jesus does something, he does it perfectly, okay? And that's, I told Michael before the sermon, I was going to mention him. Jesus would put you out of a job. <laughs> Michael's a physical therapist. She didn't need any physical therapy. Okay, no recovery time. Isn't that incredible? It's wonderful. And think about it. Everything he does is so perfect. It's better than you can imagine. And now think about his work of salvation. It says, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Past tense. It doesn't say he will perfect for it says he has already perfected forever. If you know Jesus Christ, it's done and it's perfect. Man, I'm sure glad he's the one that took care of salvation and not me. Oh, man. Okay, well, um, so there's no lingering after effect. She got up right away and it says she served them or ministered to them, which she fixed them uh, the meal. I'm reminded of the lame man in Acts 3, you know, uh, where Peter, it, it wasn't Peter who did the healing. It was Jesus who did the healing. It was after his resurrection. But he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, rise up and walk, he said to this man, who had been, by the way, lame since birth. Can you imagine? I mean, we're talking uh, a lifetime, you know, of never walking. Talk about atrophied muscles, right? You, you talk about physical therapy, huh? You know, get him down in the water there and slowly let him start moving his legs. And maybe, you know, those little rubber bands that are supposed to be muscles might develop over months. Possibly Michael shaking his head. Won't even happen. Okay. Well, what does it say? He went doing what? Walking and what? Leaping. Ha! Isn't that great? Jumping for joy. Praising God. <clears throat> Okay, well, the, the, the key verse here in our passage is what comes next, verse 40. <clears throat> There's so much in here. <clears throat> and I think we read something like this, we glaze over it, we really don't pause and think about what it's saying. So that's what we're going to do. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. We're going to think about that. Well, first of all, uh, I mentioned earlier, word had spread. We saw that from verse 37, right? So you can imagine. You've got somebody who's got some kind of a disease. And the doctors, they're clueless in those days, you know? Um, what's interesting, I don't know if you caught it. It said, when the sun was setting. Why did they wait? 
Do you know why they waited? They waited because it's the Sabbath. It's Saturday. It's a holy day. We know that from the previous verses. Well, why didn't they bring? Because in their perverted way, the Pharisees have indoctrinated these people that you don't do any work on the Sabbath. And you have a thing called a Sabbath day journey. and You can't go any more than that on the Sabbath. And so they've got to wait for the sun to go down. The Sabbath will end. And now they can carry a load like a sick person. They couldn't do it before that. Isn't that sad? Do you understand? That's why they came after sunset, because Sabbath had ended. And now legally, according to the Pharisees, they can go ahead and bring all the people they want healed. Can't do it before that. You're sinning otherwise. I'll tell you, that must have just tore the heart of Jesus. As he saw this motley crowd coming up right near sunset as they began to accumulate, he knew why they waited. And he knew they didn't have to. You understand? But his heart must have just gone out to them, knowing that they had to wait until the sun went down in order to receive his help. No wonder, you know, later on, he said to the people like this, to to the multitudes, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, you can just see his heart in that says, looking on the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's the heart of Jesus. And then later, uh, on his final entry into Jerusalem, he looks at the city and has rejected him. Most of them hate him. Pharisees have tried to kill him and they're about to finally succeed. And he weeps. He weeps for them. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who uh, murder the prophets and kills those who, st- who are sent to you. How often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks. But you would not. That's his heart. And so imagine this pathetic parade as it comes up now to Peter's house. It's a huge sick ward. Most of them are hopeless. Many of them are fatal by the way, and they're helpless to do anything about it. Helpless and hopeless. And they're about to receive help from the greatest servant that ever lived. By the way, it's a wonderful thing that Jesus did what he's about to do. And yet, you know, that wasn't the important thing that he did. Miracles are wonderful, but... He did the healing simply as something to indicate who he was and what he could do. Do you understand? These people are, they're going to die. They may be healed and they may be walking and, and seeing for the first time, but they have a bigger problem. And praise God, Jesus is not short-sighted like us. You know, and we're going to see later the local people, they thought, oh man, we got this guy, Jesus. All right. You know, let's keep him around here and he can take care of all of our problems for us. That's why people come to God sometimes today, you know. They want God to fix their problems. But it doesn't work. Jesus doesn't want that. You have a bigger problem. It's called sin. And it's forever. And praise God. That's the real sickness, if you want to call it, that he came to heal. And not just for these people, but for everyone. For you 
Okay? <clears throat> okay, so here comes the parade of uh, sick. <clears throat> Notice the superlatives in this verse. It says, all those who had any sick. Okay? So in the surrounding towns, if there was anybody that had anybody sick in the house, they brought them. It's, in other words, everybody that's sick was brought. Okay? But then it goes on to say, listen to this, that he laid hands on how many? All. He laid hands, plural, on all of them. By the way, we're talking about that. Isn't that great? You know, he didn't just, uh, okay, be healed. Next. No, it was personal every time. We know that from the other accounts in the Gospels. Whenever he healed, it was personal. And I love that touch. He laid hands. He didn't just touch them, you know. He laid hands on them. Man, what a comfort. Huh? <clears throat> he laid hands on all of them. And then it says, uh, and healed them. By the way, the implication in that last phrase, he healed them, the word all belongs there, obviously. It's the ones he laid his hands on, God healed. Well, how many is that? Well, it's all of them. Okay. So we can, we can imagine... Don't think about this as, you know, just a bunch of sick people and they come in in a mass and leave. But it's, it's, it's one by one. It's personal. <clears throat> each one was handled one on one. He lovingly and patiently dealt with each person. Okay? Think about it that way. If, if, if they went like the other passages in the Gospels, which, is, which it certainly must have uh, done, they probably typically would have begun with a word of explanation. You know, Lord, the demon cast my child into the fire, you know, or uh, Lord, uh, my son has been lame from birth, you know, or or whatever. They would explain it. By the way, that would be for their benefit, not his, because he already knew. OK, he does, he doesn't need that. Isn't that one of the things you have to do as a doctor? First, let's find out, you know, you do a questionnaire. Where does it hurt? How long? When did it start? Right? You know, he doesn't need to do that. And then it would probably end, you know, with an, uh, an entreaty, Lord, please, you know, help her, heal her, help him. Uh, very often, we know in the other passage, he would ask when they explain, he would say, what do you want? And you say, well, well hello. <laughs> no, again. It's very important. Jesus wants an expression of faith. He wants to hear that they believe that he can do it. Okay. And it's, it could be very simple. Lord, heal my daughter. You know, heal my son, my grandmother, whatever. Uh, from some of the other passages, Lord, to receive my sight. To be cleansed, a leper would typically say. You know, or maybe just, Lord, please make me well. Uh, we, we, we read this and we really miss it. What, what underlies it? It says verse 40 with various diseases, <laughs> various diseases. Imagine what this means. This is a doctor's nightmare. Okay. I, I thought about it and uh, it had to have been in the hundreds, the people who came. Uh, if you read the other accounts of healing, 
If you read them and see what happened, it, it might take place in, in about a minute because he doesn't have to, uh, you know, query and ask questions about it. He already knows. But let's say two minutes per person. That's quite a long time, by the way, if you, th- if you count it up. All right? Does that sound reasonable? A couple of minutes? Then if there were 300 people, that would be 600 minutes. That's 10 hours. If he started about 6 p.m., he'd be done about 2 in the morning. Okay, and I, I, I have a feeling it's, it was somewhere around there. So let's say about 300 people with various diseases across the spectrum. <clears throat> Could you imagine a doctor or a team of doctors being faced with something like that? Each one to be diagnosed and treated. By the way, <laughs> not just treated, healed on the spot. Each one completely different. Um, I thought, how many diseases are there? <clears throat> so I looked it up. <clears throat> we really don't know all of them. That's the problem. Uh, and so I, I wanted to get, it's hard. You can't just list them because there's so many. You can't just get, get them on one page. They have them A, B, C. You click on a letter and then it fills up you know, a, a scroll bar with a little tiny slide about that big for each letter. Okay? That's what Jesus is faced with here. All right? So just to give you an appreciation for what Jesus did, it says various diseases. We've categorized anywhere from twelve to 13,000 diseases. And those are just the ones we know and have named. Okay? Now, that's just a number. Just to give you a feel for it, I'll I'll read the beginning of the list to you because this is what Jesus had to not only diagnose but cure instantly. Ready? And forgive my pronunciation. This is worse than the Bible names in the Old Testament, okay? Agenaeus Syndrome. Arscog Oza Panda syndrome. These are double A. We're starting at the very top. Aza Smith syndrome. ABCD syndrome. Abasia. Abdalit Davis Farage syndrome. Abdominal aortic aneurysm. I'm not going to read all 12,000, so relax, okay? <laughs> Abdominal cystic lymphangioma. Abdominal defects. Abdominal musculature absent microthalmia joint laxity. (laughs) Say that three times fast. Abdominal neoplasm. Aberrant subclavian artery. Abliferon macrostomia syndrome. Abnormal systemic venous return. Abruzzo Erickson syndrome. Notice all the names of people, by the way. Isn't that interesting? Has nothing to do with the disease. Doesn't tell you anything about what it is. Absence of gluteal muscle. Absence of tibia with polydactyly. Absent corpus callosum cataract immunodeficiency. Absent T lymphocytes. By the way, I mentioned people's names. It's interesting, you know. Um, The last several years I've told you I've gotten really interested in microbiology and biochemistry because it so clearly shows the hand of God in creation. It's wonderful. 
But what really irritates me is reading these things because half the time you're learning, they say, this is called something and they give you what the name of it is. But it's a man-made name. And so it's named after some guy who discovered it. It tells you absolutely nothing. Do you understand? Like these names we've been reading here. And I'm not, you know, discrediting the scientists, but it's not helpful in figuring out what it is. And um, sometimes it's a Latin name or some other language, English or, or Italian or something, in French, depending on the discoverer. And the problem often in that case is that when they first discovered it, they were wrong in what they thought it was or what caused it or, you know, what its symptoms were. And so, but we're stuck with the name. And so their name doesn't even mean anything. And so it's really frustrating to learn these names, first of all, just to learn these rote names of everything and then try to remember what the connection is, you know. Well, what's interesting is the last 50 years, God has opened the floodgates of information on his creation, in particular in things like this, you know, how our body works and so on. And people can't keep up with naming everything. Is that incredible? And so they resort to letters and numbers, you know, where it is on the gene, you know, some four digit number with a Greek letter after it is totally meaningless. And when I think about it, I'm reminded of the stars. Now, you think I'm going far afield, but we'll come back. You'll see. Uh, we do the same thing with stars. When the uh, people from the Middle East studied the heavens and saw God's beautiful creation, they actually named the stars individually. Do you know that? You've heard of like Antares and Betelgeuse. That's B-E-T-E-L-G-E-U-S-E, Okay and Sirius, and so on. But then we got telescopes, and we got more and more powerful telescopes. So they've given up on naming the stars. And now they're just named after the constellation with a, a letter or a number at, after it, indicating how bright it is within that constellation. If it's, if it's the 750th brightest star in Andromeda, it's Andromeda 750. Okay? I say that because you know what it says about God in the Psalms? It says he counts all the stars, first of all, but then it says he calls each one by name. You got that? God has a name for every single star, not just in this galaxy. <laughs> and they're not just, you know, A, B, C, D. These are meaningful names. Man, isn't God great? Okay, well, he has names for all this stuff. I'll stop there. I was going to go to A, C. And stop there, but I'll finish with A, B. You get the idea. Various diseases. And there were no extensive questions, no tests, no x-rays, no MRIs, no CT scans. There was no exploratory surgery. Jesus didn't have to take any tissue samples or blood samples. He didn't have to call in any specialists. All right? You've been through something like this, and I'm not going to do this to badmouth doctors just to show how incredible the Lord is. Uh, many years ago, I was driving down to uh, L.A. with a, we were going down with another family to uh, Disneyland, and they had a Volkswagen bus, and, and me and the other guy were taking turns driving. And I remember 
driving down Highway 5 and my shoulder would tighten up, you know? And uh, I'd try to kind of work it, work my head and stuff to loosen up, but it just wouldn't, you know? As time went on, it got worse and worse, so I went to my doctor. And um, he began by um, giving me cortisone shots. Sounds good, right? Into the trapezius muscle, because that was the one that was tight. And it seemed to do a good for a couple hours, but then it, it would lose its effect. So he gave me muscle relaxers. That didn't do any good. He sent me to a physical therapist. And bless his heart, he worked me over a couple of times a week. You know, he'd get there into the shoulder and, yeah, I can feel something in there. You know, there it is. And he'd massage it and stuff. And it would seem to relax after a while. Um, but over time, it just kept getting worse. And so the doctor took x-rays and he couldn't see anything. So four years later, after I'd first noticed it, he sent me to a specialist who gave me an MRI and he finally diagnosed it. So four years later, we finally know what it is. It's called cervical spondylosis and it's calcium deposits inside the vertebrae. It wasn't the shoulder, it was my backbone. Pinching a nerve, going out to the shoulder, you see. And my poor uh, family physician had been flying blind, fixing the shoulder, you know, and it really was back here. Well, the problem is, you know, once you're down in the spinal cord and the vertebrae, they don't want to go in there messing around unless they absolutely have to. And so I still didn't have relief because he's, oh, okay, well, what you need to do is separate those vertebrae a little bit so they won't pinch on that nerve. So they gave me this weight bag to put her over a pulley with a thing like this that went on my head. You ever seen those? And I would sit, it got to be like an hour a night, you know, with this weight pulling down and hopefully lifting up and giving me relief. But it kept getting worse. Finally, years later, actually a total of 10 years, I walk into my doctor all hunched over. You know, I can't take anymore. I said, we got to do something. So we get another MRI and finally they did surgery and uh, took out two discs. Those are the little like rubber-like things, you know, in between the vertebrae. Those are gone and fused the, the three vertebrae together so that my vertebrae aren't like yours now up there that do that. It's one solid stick, about like that. Okay, I'm saying that because it's not like when Jesus did it. Okay, I lost something. I don't have the mobility. I can't turn my head. I used to be able to catch pop flies when we were down to play baseball. I can't do that anymore. Okay. I'm not the same. I thank God for the doctors. But uh, listen, when Jesus healed these people, when they walked out, I don't care what they had or how much tissue was missing. You know, sometimes people are blind because there's the optic nerve is shot or parts of it are gone. I don't care what it was. When he finished, they were 100% fixed. Nothing missing, nothing short, no after effects. Isn't it incredible? So let's say 300 of them. Perfect. When they walked away. Each virus would have been eradicated. Each cell of damaged tissue made whole. Entire cells and tissues and organs created, by the way, instantly. If he can uh, create the universe, he can create a few organs on the spot. Okay. Imagine just speaking and something exists. Fractures would be set. No scars, by the way. No lingering symptoms. No after effects. And it's personal. 
I love that phrase. Uh, it's so explicit. It says, he laid his hands on every one of them. Isn't that wonderful? He didn't just touch them. And you can imagine how one of these dear people who's been, in many cases, suffering for life, in pain their whole lives. And Jesus comes to them. I don't think, you know, Jesus sat still and waited for them to roll him up. I think he walked down the line, you know, and just came to each one. And, and can you imagine Jesus' gentle voice of assurance and then that touch, that laying on of hands. And then he speaks the word. And when he speaks the word, the command, the pain is gone instantly. In fact, you feel so wonderful like you've never felt before. Can you imagine? And from then on, people would connect that voice and that touch with their changed life. You can just imagine, you know, as the healing flooded through their body. Now, it wasn't the touch. Now, you know, if Hollywood were to get a hold of this, there'd be sparks flying or, you know, some kind of blue light or something. It was his his command. You know, receive your sight. Now, if he told me to do this, I don't know how I'd go about receiving my sight, but I don't have to worry about that. If he commands it, then it's going to happen, you see. Uh, and, and there would be many, you know, uh, one of the things that God warns about in the Old Testament as far as cer- ceremonial uncleanness is touching any kind of fluid issue from a person's body. And there'd be a lot of that here. And he's touching these icky people. You know, or lepers. And, and the cool thing is, you see, he's not defiled. They're cleansed. <laughs> Can't happen the other way around. You see. For each one that night, probably as late as the early hours, like I said, if it's 300, let's say 2 a.m., maybe 3 or 4, their life was changed forever. Have you heard his voice? Felt his touch? Been healed. Now, I'm not talking about physically. You know, you may be in great shape physically. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, then you have a very serious problem that he alone can fix. It's called sin. And he can heal that forever. That's what he was demonstrating here. Well, all evening and into the night, Jesus labored lovingly and patiently. He never said, okay, I'm getting tired. That's it. You know, you know, you're the last person. You people go home, you know, says every one of them. It's interesting to me that next it says some of them had demons. Jesus is the greatest GP that ever lived. You know what a GP is? General practitioner means he can do anything. Usually today, a general practitioner means he's the jack of all trades, master of none. You get a specialist and he really knows his stuff. Well, Jesus knows his stuff and everything, including demonology. Try to get a doctor on that one sometime. Okay. And again, he would command and the people were healed. No matter what the problem was, you see, they were healed. Verse 42, it says, now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. I don't blame him. I wonder how much sleep he got that night, if any, you know. He's not complaining. 
Uh, we said earlier he never had a thought for himself. Well, at this time you might say, yeah, he does. You know, he, he wants to get away and be with his father just to have some sweet time of fellowship with his father. And you can understand why. But by the way, this wasn't the last time a scene like this happened. It happened all the time throughout his ministry. Okay? Like John said, if all of it was written down, the world wouldn't contain the books that had it. Well, uh, he goes away, and it, you kind of feel for him here. It says the crowd sought him and came to him. So here he is, ah, you know, a moment of solitude. And what a contrast, deserted and then crowd. Here we are again. You know, they don't want him to leave. And the lesson to learn from this is uh, they're like the 5,000 that he fed in the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 6. And like I said, don't make the same mistake they did. They came to him after uh, he'd fed the 5,000 and he said, listen, you guys are coming here only because your bellies were filled. That's not going to cut it. That's not good enough. You've got a bigger problem. Stop chasing after the uh, physical bread. Seek eternal life. I can give you more than physical bread. I can give you eternal life. Maybe there's somebody here. I've known many over the years that have, that have come to church. They've come in and out, you know, and they have something going on in their life. They have problems, uh, marital problems, health problems, financial problems, just general problems. And they want Jesus to fix their problems. Well, it's nice to have problems fixed if that were my biggest problem, but it's not. It's sin. And if my sin problem is not fixed, I'm going to hell. And if your sin problem is not fixed, you're going to hell. Okay. I, I'm, I'm sorry to talk that way, but I'm telling you, I can talk that way because there's a solution. <laughs> and it's this one we've been talking about. It's Jesus. Okay. When I said he poured out his life in service, he literally did that. After spending all of his time helping people this way, he has his life in his hands. And what does he do? He pours it out on the cross. Literally gives his life totally so that you can go to heaven. Okay. So uh, the process is exactly the same as it was here. The people came to him individually, one at a time. And there was a discussion where they said, Lord, I have this problem. Well, in this case, come to Jesus personally. You know, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Come to Jesus personally and say, Lord, I have a problem. It's called sin. I understand it. It's going to send me to hell. Lord, please help me. Please save me. He can't say no to that. Okay. If you've never done that, make it today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a wonderful Savior you are. We think of this passage here and how you didn't turn anyone away, but you lovingly and patiently dealt with each one. And when they went away, they were changed forever because they had met you. And we pray for anyone here who has never had that personal encounter that this might finally be the day when they come to you personally as just a sinner in need of a Savior and that indeed they might be saved and receive eternal life from you. We ask it in your precious name. Amen.